Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock MBA podcast, and today's episode is one I've been very, very excited about. I've been working on this one for like six months. Finally got one of my very favorite YouTubers on the show. Her name is Sarah Dietschy, rhymes with Peachy. If you are familiar with Sarah, you've heard her say that a million times. She has a channel that I like to think of as like tech for creators. So she reviews like computers and cameras and phones and all that other kind of stuff that you might use to make content like podcasts and photos and YouTube channels, all that kind of stuff. Kind of like a more creator friendly version of Linus tech tips, you might say. I've watched her grow quite a bit over the years. She's up to now, I think, 650,000 subscribers. She's really taken off in the past couple years. She's worked with some really big brands like Samsung and Intel, Squarespace, and I mean, not just like sponsored, like she's actually worked with them in like a creator capacity. And she's actually somebody that I have learned a lot from about how to be a YouTuber, especially from her podcasts. You know, if you watch her videos, you might think that she's just kind of like a friendly, easygoing girl that reviews cameras and stuff like that. But if you listen to her podcast, you'll see that there's like a serious business brain behind all that. that may not be obvious at first, but trust me, it's there. You'll hear what I'm talking about in this show. So we talk about all that, kind of the way that she thinks about YouTube and whether you want to do YouTube or not, like you need to hear how she thinks about just the business of being a creator in general because this is how it works. Like this is stuff that I learned, you know, probably when I was around her age, I think she's like 26 now, but I didn't like really, really learn it until, I don't know, a couple years ago. So she is way ahead of the curve. If you have any ambition at all to be a creator of any kind, or really just, if you have any ambition at all to do anything, I think you'd be very smart to listen to her. She's just really, really smart person with fantastic content. So very excited to finally get her on the show. She's a very busy person. Not easy to get her time, but I did it. And now you get to hear the conversation. But before we get into that, there are a couple things that you can do to support the show if you are so inclined. Number one, share it on social media. Whether that is Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Tumblr or TikTok or Friendster, whatever, we appreciate all of it. And if you do, please tag me, tag the guest. You can tag Deanna if you want, our wonderful editor and producer who makes the whole thing happen. Second thing you can do is if you are so inclined, you could buy some merch. We've got a few new designs that maybe you haven't seen before. There's a link to those in the show notes. And lastly, if you really, really like us, you can support us on Patreon. Patrons get access to every show a week early. There's a members-only private Discord server that I'm in. There's also a way to have me review your band or podcast or graphic design portfolio or any other kind of creative project that you might want to get my feedback on. And also, I want to thank Deanna. Again, she is the producer and editor that makes all this happen. If you have any questions about how to start your own podcast, or maybe you already have a podcast, but you just kind of want to level it up, you can definitely hit her up. I can't say enough good things about her. There's a link to her site in the show notes. And with that out of the way, let's get into the episode. Sarah Dietschy, good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. I know you're a very busy person, so thank you for making time for this. Of course. I am so happy to be here. I think we have a lot of overlap, so I'm excited to chat. Yeah. Well, I first encountered you when my old friend and former boss, Chase Jarvis, was on your show. And from there, I started watching your videos and listening to your podcast. And I don't really generally follow a lot of, you know, tech or 
photography video like it's not really my world but i really like your channel and especially after listening to your podcast that's what got me really really interested uh, because i think you have a mind for business that i don't find very often in creators that is something that i enjoy <laughs> i try to hide it sometimes because it is it is easier to follow when you're just a creator Right. Sometimes if mm -hmm. I get a little bit too niche with the content, then it gets slightly unrelatable. <laughs> um, I mean, one of my favorite people to talk to um, on my podcast, That Creative Life, is Roberto Blake, because he is almost like he's 60% business, 40% creative. And I love geeking out with him. And in another world, maybe my channel would, would be a little bit more like that. But that's why I enjoy my podcast, because I get to go into detail about stuff that I think some people might think is boring. Yes. <laughs> but I'm like, hey, I'm a creative trying to make this thing work as, you know, a creative entrepreneur. I'm trying to build other things. So let's let's talk about the process of everything. Because the only the only way I learn, you know, I'm a college dropout. So the only way I learn is just asking people. So if I can spread that knowledge with everyone else, then hey, it's a win-win. Well, I do want to dig a little bit deeper on that particular thing later. But first, for anybody who's not familiar, how would you describe your channel? I would think of it I would think of it kind of as like Peter McKinnon meets MKBHD, but how, how would you describe it to someone who's not familiar? Yeah, so I say, I, I, I don't shy away from the word YouTuber because I love YouTube, I love making videos. So it's a channel about tech and creativity. So I don't necessarily talk about every single tech product because there's so much out there, but I'm more interested in showing the creative process behind using these new phones or laptops or what have you, um, kind of showing it more in the creative process and less, hey, look at all these specs. And I, I do weave my life into it. You know, I live in New York City. I've been here for over four years. Um, it's just a fun place to be. I get to interact with a lot of people, less nowadays, <laughs> but it's just, it's a fun experience to to share with people and it keeps it I try to keep things interesting so sometimes that isn't exactly what the audience wants and that oh there's a new phone out where's your video of your new phone what's the new phone and I'm like but I don't want to make a video about that phone I'm sorry it's boring to me so <laughs> so tech creativity and ultimately just making videos that interest me and tech in your world means like gadgets, not software engineering. Yes. So, I mean, so I studied computer science for three and a half years before dropping out. So there is a lot of me that enjoys that side of it and I can get extremely dorky. And, you know, you say you have somewhat of a music audience. I've played electric guitar for over 10 years. The reason why I started in college pursuing electrical engineering and then I later switched to computer science is because I wanted to build pedals and amps. That's the only way that I could get this engineering scholarship, but also do something that seemed like fun and it had to do with my life so so I started there but then I became obsessed with cameras and, and video and at the heart of everything I really just enjoy storytelling and editing it it wasn't until the past two years that I think my video audio lighting has gotten on point because I've always been an editor first so I am just a serial 
like obsessor of random things in this field. So it was computer science and double E when I thought I was going to be an engineer. It was video editing, telling stories when it was solely video editing. And now that I've been able to grow a business around being a YouTuber, it's more, hey, how do I expand on that? Continue telling stories. That's all good and fun. But how do I learn about delegation? How do I learn about building something beyond me that's going to live beyond just Hey guys, Sarah Dici Rhymes with Peachy. Welcome to another YouTube video. Because like you said before we started recording, YouTube isn't a thing that will last forever. I would love if it would last forever. That'd be great. But I, I'm, I'm not being that optimistic. <laughs> I see it as like a 10-year run. So now that you know, I started my channel and... Well, you're on year nine, so the clock's ticking. Exactly, exactly. So I'm like, oh, you know, I've done it full time for four to five years, but I started in 2011. So there, there is that thing in the back of my head where I'm like, are people going to get bored of me? We got to prepare for that moment. <laughs> well, that's smart because, you know, I know tons and tons of people in bands and it's, it's a bummer when I see people who like turn 30 or so and you know, realize that either their band has run its course or that they just don't want to, you know, live that life anymore. And they're like, oh, fuck, what do I do now? Yeah. And the smart ones have something figured out. They're like, well, I've got my real estate license, so I'm good. And I think having an exit plan, you know, it may sound pessimistic, but I don't think it is. I think it's just, that's reality. Very few things last forever. And if you don't plan for it, then you're probably going to get caught by surprise. And that's generally not a good thing. 100%. Preach. Well, you touched on so many things that I wanted to talk about. I have a huge list of questions here that I'm sure we're not going to get to. But first thing I wanted to ask about. So right now you're at 650,000 subscribers or something like that. Yeah. So that is a good sized channel, but it's not huge. There's lots of people with way more subscribers. And yet you, I think, have what what's impressed me a lot is you've really punched above your weight in a lot of ways not to say that you don't deserve it or anything like that but you know you work with people like linus and gary and mkbhd and chase and i know for example chase says no to everything uh <laughs> and i'm sure that all those other people do too you've worked with like samsung and intel a lot of big brands and stuff how have you been able to get plugged in at such a high level it's so funny that i do so i've been doing some more interviews recently and i think this is the biggest question and i didn't know oh really i mean i thought it was gonna be yeah. a, i thought i thought i was the smart one well i mean you are a smart one because it's it's the the consensus i feel like over i mean it's been what like two or three people over the past few months but i didn't know this was a thing until people started asking me and i think for every single relationship i have in the industry there is a long line of behind the scenes <laughs> from like literally starting you know when i started my channel in 2011 maybe it started around 2014 2015 and it's one of those things where like maybe I can just take a couple so Chase um Chase Jarvis he's so awesome and it's so funny he was on that creative life even before it was my podcast that creative life was actually just oh a YouTube series where I did xyz it's funny how things evolve over the years but he is someone that is, of course, really close to Adobe because Creative Software, Premiere, Photoshop, Lightroom. And I got the Adobe Creative Residency in 2016. And what that is, is Adobe basically pays you to pursue your passion projects for a year and, of course, share the process along the way. They get a lot of great advertising. You know, hey, guys, this is how I edited this in Premiere. And then I go to conferences and talk on Adobe's behalf and stuff. So Chase 
being close to Adobe, he was kind of looped into that creative residency thing. And I was a second year resident and we, we had already adjacent people. So, or new adjacent, like fellow creators. And so I think I was on his radar and I think when people get confused by the definition of luck and serendipity, there's a big difference. And I try to play in the world where I just increase my surface area of serendipity. And one day, you know, these, these people I want to meet, the things that I want to happen are just like bound to happen if you just keep doing these certain things. So a lot of, I'm always on the internet, I'm always making things, just a lot of random like getting to know people on Twitter and Instagram and Adobe Creative Residency, being ready to uh, start any, like any person that Adobe introduced me to, I was like, okay, what's up? How can we work together? 2016 was the year of no sleep. So I love sleeping. I sleep eight hours a night, eight to nine hours a night now. So I'm not advocating for no sleep. It's just there's certain phases of your life where you just full send it you know, and that was the year. And so there was a lot of that where once I got to know Chase through Adobe, you know, at that point I had already been on Gary V's show. And what people don't remember about Gary V is we had the same amount of subscribers back in 2016. So that one, yeah, that one wasn't necessarily like a crazy get at the time. I was watching this dude who, you know, crazy wine guy, and he changed my life like crazy because he was the first one that said in a video, hey, you don't have to finish your college degree, especially if you're about to go into debt. And that was the first unlock for me three and a half years into my degree that I was like, oh, hold on. I don't have to go into debt for something I hate. This video thing I've been working on for the past five to 10 years, I have some momentum there. How about we should do that? So he's had a special place in my heart since he basically said that I think in 2015 and I know it's not as um, crazy to like not go to college nowadays, but even five years ago, you know, just little me in Texas, I had never heard someone say that before. Totally. Hold on. Like, I don't have to finish college. (laughs) You know, so that was insane to hear. And so we had, we both had 100,000 subscribers when I was on a show. And it was literally just, everything is just connecting opportunities as quick as possible. So I got the Adobe uh, Creative Residency. At the same exact time, I made a viral video where a lot of people know me from Casey Neistat. The how to vlog like Casey Neistat one or whatever, yeah. Yeah, so that was beginning of 2016 in like January, I think. So literally the moment that happened, I knew Casey and Gary knew each other. So two nights after I sent an email to Gary at 10.35 p.m. I remember it so clearly. And the the subject title was girl from viral Casey Neistat video. (laughs) I'm like, he's homies with Casey. He, He has to open this, right? And I got an email from him five minutes later. Yeah, Sarah, let's make this happen. Like you can come on my show. I'll be on your show. Awesome. I told him I lived in New York. I didn't live in New York. <laughs> so, so I was like, yeah, I'll be in New York. You just let me know time and date. So I'm the type of person that will set things up and I'll just figure it out down the line. Sure. So that's how that happened. And again, there was like mutual value exchange because we both had a hundred K it seems crazy in hindsight, just how much he's grown, right. And how big of a personality he is. And that honestly, that and among you know, 50 other things that were happening at the time just kept increasing that serendipity and the luck. And so once that happened, that made the chase connect very easy because not only was I seeing him at an event that Adobe put on, you know, I was a resident, I knew Gary, I was making YouTube videos, I was in that scene. Yeah. 
So it's an easy yes. So there's just a lot of moments like that that there's so much going on behind the scenes. And I, I genuinely, you know, there is that awareness that, okay, there, there needs to be a mutual value exchange, 100% yes. But I'm always trying to figure out how can I help people beyond just being on a video or a podcast. So, I mean, there's behind the scenes stuff that people don't even see that are going on that, you know, makes me either a friend or a helper. I love to be a connector to people. So all of the things. Well, let me also ask, so that's cool that you sent an email to Gary and got a yes five minutes later. How many times did you send an email like that and heard nothing back to various different people? Let's see. Honestly, so I didn't start emailing like that or messaging people like that until I knew that there was a value exchange. So before that, the only people that I'd be collaborating with are, you know, I moved to Nashville for nine months. I had my best friend in Nashville. Her husband uh, is in the music business. So I knew there were some people um, that he knew that were just really cool and creative. That's why I moved to Nashville. I wanted to be around more creative people. So when it came to my first creative docuseries I made on my channel creative spaces tv the first three people that you see are just friends of my friend Naomi they're not big they're not famous but my value exchange there was hey I'm gonna make you the dopest video ever that you can share with your family and friends spend a day with me and we'll make it happen and you know they shared it with their friends and family and okay maybe it only got 1,000 to 2,000 views but during that time it was really good to develop my skills as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, and that credibility helped me later on. So in the beginning, it was always, you know, I, was, I wasn't I was emailing Gary or, or Casey when I had a thousand subscribers. So you just have to have, I hate that this is just becoming me regurgitating Gary, but you got to be self-aware, you know, and I think that's what, what I was doing. Well, you know, I hate doing that too, but yeah. Gary is just so smart that someone's like, you know, there's no way I'm going to say this better than he did. So yeah. I'm just going to Just go listen to Gary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Turn, turn this podcast off. Just go do whatever he says. There you go. Yeah. Well, I think there's a, a good takeaway there. You know, oftentimes what I would tell people is just ask, it can't hurt. But on the other hand, it's also smart to not you know, pull the trigger until you think you have a good chance at hitting the target because, you know, it actually can hurt you to reach out in ways that don't make sense and make you look stupid. Right. And it's like building up, building up credibility is really important because I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, I'm busy. Everyone's busy. Okay. That's nothing new. But just you sliding into the DM and saying, hey, I'm friend, like I am associated with Chase, that automatically means, okay, he can't be a crazy person if, you know, he, he knows Chase. That's what you think. And then you, yeah, oh, and then you check the channel out and, okay, cool, it looks like he has some stuff going on. Like this will be a good conversation. Let's do it. But it takes time to vet people because you don't want to go on someone's video or podcast without knowing what they're about you know people say crazy stuff nowadays you don't want to associate yourself with you know a crazy person or something so that credibility is so huge when reaching out to people and I think people only associate that with numbers and I say no guys from 2011 to 2016 all of my credibility was hey look at this good video I made let me make a good video about you And then that just snowballed. And then eventually, once I gained more of an audience, it could be a combination of, hey, I have 4,000 subscribers and I'm also going to give you this really dope video that you're going to be just so stoked to have for free. 
of course I'll say yes. And then now it's much easier because, you know, I have numbers too. So. So for anybody listening who's like, wow, this sounds like they're so calculating and they're just doing all this like a chess game to, you know, manipulate the pieces to get what they want. I don't see things that way. But what would you say to somebody who might feel like this is an inauthentic way of seeing the world? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a very uh, calculated person. Like, I think you have to be. I think a lot of people look at my story and I do talk a lot of the big leaps in life, like dropping out of college. That was probably the biggest thing in my world at that time. However, I stayed in college for three and a half years. <laughs> like, like it's not like I was just throw caution to the wind. And I was working on my plan B for three and a half years until I felt confident in my video skills. And there was a little bit of that breaking point of, oh, I lost my scholarship money. So that helped push me off the ledge. But it was three and a half years and even more in high school, developing those skills on the side, convincing people that I'm a worthy uh, video creator. And then once things kind of lined up, it wasn't as, even though it was risky in my brain, because, oh, I'm, you know, losing a steady job. There was things in the background that I was doing to make that jump much easier. So you kind of have to be. If you want to do things in a world that just is so random, you know, and is so hard to be successful in, you can't just say, oh, I'm just going to put my stuff out there and see what happens. You got to like go for it. (laughs) I just you got a full send. And by the way, everybody I know who is successful thinks this way. Yeah. Because you just have to. I mean, in a world in which the people you want to work with have 9 billion opportunities to choose from, you have to ask yourself, why would they say yes to me? Yeah. Yeah. And I have, you know, being on the other side of it now, I have so much more respect and (laughs) I, I give so much more grace to people now because if it's not on my calendar, like it doesn't, I totally forget about it. I never thought I would be, quite frankly, that asshole who like doesn't show up to a meeting by accident. I was like, in what world is that possible? In what world? Like, who are these people? They just think they are just like self-righteous, you know? But I'm like, oh my gosh, I am now that person. If I'm not organized, if I'm not on the same page with my team, I don't show up to things unless it's in my calendar. So you just have to think from the other person's perspective. Like you said, when they have 10 million other things going on, how is it going to be valuable for their time? But also too, be positive and make friends in your industry. Like you don't, like this entire time that I've been, like as I've been on my way up, I've been trying to build people around me and build people with me. And it's it's something I've been like, honestly, kind of uh, not depressed by, but just it's been funny to see that I've been doing, you know, more collaborations recently or just talking to more YouTubers recently. And it's so weird to be a YouTuber that people watched in the beginning for inspiration, but then those people are like, bigger than you now mm-hmm. and it's kind of embarrassing it, it kind of <laughs> is like where like Ali Abdal he's a really good productivity youtuber and he's been just like so generous with um sharing about my work on his youtube channel and he's almost about to hit a million subscribers and he's, he's someone who says you know like Sarah is the person uh one of many people who inspired me when I started my channel and it's kind of awkward to be like oh wait, he's crushing it harder than I am. What am I doing wrong? But I think it comes with the attitude of as you're on your way up, 
just make more friends and enemies because it's it's more fun that way like you can actually enjoy it it's not a competition and you'll find that you know you asking that question like how well it's like because i i think on my way up i've been trying to share the love and um embrace you know opportunities for other people and be that person who recommends my friends and talks to brands in a way that isn't just for me but hey there's this other youtuber over here there's this other creator over here um you know if someone else gets a brand deal doesn't mean that you're not going to get one and that just means that people are going to come to you more often and yeah friends will get jobs and that's that's great (laughs) well you mentioned something about your team earlier which is something i wanted to ask you about You've been talking about this lately, about building a team, scaling yourself. And I would say I really like that because I care a lot about leadership as somebody that operates a company and has worked on big teams and stuff. I feel like you and Linus are the only YouTubers that I'm aware of that talk about leadership in that way as like an actual skill and craft that you take seriously the same way you do editing or anything else you know, acting like a CEO, which you are, hiring and developing people, stuff like that. Where did that come from? And where did you kind of realize, or when did you realize that that's something you wanted to focus on? I think no matter what type of videos I make, it's always about demystifying things. So I always try to be very clear that, hey, (laughs) the only skill that I am 100% confident in, that if YouTube goes away tomorrow, I would immediately go back to this is video editing. Like put me in a duel with someone else and I will like own them in video editing and storytelling. Everything else is just an interest. And that's where kind of the, uh, you know, is a passion. And that's where a lot of in the beginning comes back in where a lot of my YouTube channel was interviewing other people and not having me in front of the camera, but behind the camera. So I always kind of go back to how I originally started with this. Like, okay, I'm interested in X. So I'm going to get the experts in X to talk about this and I'm going to offer value to my audience at the same time that I learned. So when it came to scaling and delegating and I became aware that, hey, maybe I want to do something else other than editing videos 10 hours a day because it's exhausting. Okay, it's exhausting. That's when I was like, oh, I need to start asking around because this is another subject I need to help demystify because it's no one talks about it. No one does. Not in like YouTuber world. Right, right. And it's one of those things that creativity is probably the hardest thing ever to scale because Mm -hmm. it's you. And so I've had to embrace the harsh reality. Some things literally can't scale and you're going to have to do them forever. So that means that you have to figure out the things that you can delegate and you just have to chip away at it and you have to be a, I'm more of the messy creative type. So I don't like, I don't care about organization. I don't care about putting crap into a Google doc. I don't care about meetings. Like I just want the messy chaos and let me, I work better under pressure and chaos and everything is just whatever, you know? And so I didn't use a calendar until probably two years ago. It's interesting that you would describe yourself that way because you don't seem that way at all. Well, that's okay. Well, that's great that you say that because that means I'm doing my job. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been a process. So that's why, you know, all of these journeys I go through, I try to share with my audience so they can learn with me um, because I started peeling back the curtain and seeing people like Linus, Austin Evans, seeing, oh my gosh, wait, 
you have a team, you have process, you have, you know, these people that you work with. How do you hire people? How do you train people? How do you write? How do you delegate these certain things? So as long as I get out on the other side, then I'm like down. Let's share the whole process. It might not be pretty. It might be whiny at some times, but hey, there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel and hopefully people learn something along the way. Like I didn't know that people use things like Asana and Notion and That's so crazy to hear you say that because it seems like <laughs> I, I think, oh well Sarah, like if I wanted to know what the best, you know, productivity app is, like I would ask Sarah. Now. But so let me in the context of three or four years ago, no. Not at all. I think that's why I take pride in some of those videos and I enjoy some of those videos and, and I'm glad that you say that because that means I've like earned the badge. It's been multiple years of learning and trying to perfect it. And okay, let's share with my audience, you know, how to use this in the most effective way, because I've definitely come from a place. I think teachers are the best teachers who just learn something mm -hmm. because you understand what it's like to not know. And that's, that's, my my motto with everything I do being like, hey, if I don't know something, I'm going to bring an expert in. And if I do know something, it's just because I just learned it. So let's teach it while it's fresh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I say in jujitsu, lots of times purple belts are better teachers than black belts because they just learned it. Mm. There you go. There's a, a lot of interesting things there that I, I wanted to ask about, but it, it really is interesting to me that you describe yourself as that create messy creative type because after listening to your podcast especially i i was like oh sarah has an engineer brain which is why like i don't consider myself an artist i mean i obviously i do create things but i don't consider myself like an artistic type even though i was a graphic designer for 10 years and i was like oh this is why i like sarah's stuff because she has an engineer brain <laughs> well i think it's uh it's a blend you know i think that's why i don't exactly fit in a box because there's certain switches that just flip at times and i mean that's why i didn't graduate with my engineering degree but you could I have couldn't survive i mean you i could, could have. have but literally i was dying inside <laughs> like it so i i'm one of those people that like in high school okay everyone had that friend that was just really smart and they didn't have to study you know and you hated that person I was a person who got good grades, graduated top 10%, got a good ACT score because, oh my gosh, 24-7 I was studying and by golly, I'm going to get that scholarship because like Lord knows how much I got in my college bank account. So literally by the time high school ended, I was done. I was so burnt on school that the moment I got in college, I wasn't starting my homework until midnight every night. So all of my time after class was filled with video, was filled with watching YouTube videos on what's the difference between ISO, shutter, aperture, how do I do this, how, and all of the moments in my life where I'm learning the most and I'm, I'm starting my next chapter is when I'm burnt on something else. And I just, you know, stay up super late to do whatever I need to get, you know, to get that done. So I'm trying to be, I think right now, I'm more type A than I've ever been. And it's like an earned thing. Mm -hmm. And it's taken me 26 years of my life to get there. I did not have a planner in school. You know, what is that? 
I was so last minute. I was a serial procrastinator, but I always say I was a productive procrastinator Mm -hmm. because when I was procrastinating on school, I was learning video. When I was procrastinating, you know, in high school, I was doing everything in my band or I was doing basketball and I was practicing my jump shot. So I think it's very natural to procrastinate and not want to do at the end of the day, you just got to do, but you might as well do something productive like you know figure out your passion while you're while you're trying to ignore your schoolwork <laughs> I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time a secular religion if you will with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. Well, since we are learning that Sarah is not uh, as she always seems, I have a question for Exposed. you. Exposed. Yes. And, and feel free to pass on this, but I, I think it would be interesting. So if someone watches your channel, they might think that like, oh, Sarah has a perfect life. You know, she has this awesome job. She lives in New York City. She just got engaged to this great guy. Wow, her life is great. Why isn't my life this wonderful? I'm interested 
what is an example of a really shitty time in your life where you just felt like everything was fucked up and bad? Or have you ever had that time? Yeah. Oh, that, I mean, that's a great question. So I'm very close to my mom. And she said something recently, just in the past couple of years, that kind of made me laugh so hard and kind of wrecked me. But I, I was like, I forgot what we were talking about. But I was like, you know, I feel like I've never had, you know, big failures in my life. I think life has been good to me, you know, like keep chugging along. And she literally started laughing in my face. And she goes, Sarah, you're joking, right? Like, you're kidding. Like, I was the one alongside you, along all of the tears in all of your failures in life. She was like, uh, remember when basketball was your entire life and you wanted to play in the WNBA and then you stopped growing and you stopped being the perfect basketball player and then you didn't make varsity and you went to uh, point guard college camp and you were the last person in their tournament and you were shaking and crying and you wanted to go home and you didn't do this and then you quit basketball to play music and then music was your entire life and then you failed at music and then school was your entire life and then you failed at becoming an engineer and then this and I was like okay chill <laughs> I get it but oh I no think, Sarah you're a loser let me, <laughs> let me explain yeah but I think the point was it's always just like the means for the next thing like I think how I'm very lucky the perspective that I have on life and that if something is over it's like dead to me and I'm on to the next thing and I'm able to kind of you know, disattach from, is that a word? Unattach? I don't know. From whatever I was doing in the past and just look towards the future. I don't know what made me like that, but it's kind of like this maybe mechanism I've built up to like protect me from the failure because like, what are you going to do? Are you just going to wallow in it? Like that's not going to help you. So, you know, there's many times in my life that, I mean, I remember in high school, I had no friends. I went through a period of, um, Elementary school was good, fine. Middle school was good and fine. Um, but because of my interest, music, video, um, sports, I mean, when I was younger, it was all about sports. I was playing tackle football with the boys at the park. Because of all that, all of my friends were guys. And things got really interesting once you get in middle school, seventh grade and eighth grade, you start getting teased oh, uh, Sarah and blah, 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 sitting in a tree. Yeah. And I'm like, no, this is my homie. Like, this is like my best friend. And then I, I went through a very long period of me, like losing all of my friends, like insecure guys couldn't take the teasing and they would just like drop me as a friend. And I, I felt so lonely for like ninth through 11th grade. I mean, there was like three or four years there where all I had was basketball and music and video, literally because I didn't have friends and I wasn't hanging out with people and I'm a little bit more of an introvert that I just turned to my hobbies and I turned to what I was passionate about. And I'm in hindsight, I'm grateful for that because I think that's why I've been able to get a, such a head start on life. Um, but, but there were some really lonely moments and it wasn't until I started, um, you know, playing guitar in a band that I actually had like best friends again. Like it's crazy to be a kid and there was like four or five years of just, I hung out with my mom. Like that makes me sound like a loser, but I just didn't have friends. I was, it was a confusing time. So yes, there, there were times, but I think my hobbies and my passions have always kind of saved me in a way. And that's why I've always been heads down, like guitar, music, video, these things are never going to leave me. 
they can't hurt me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so there you go. Premier will never ditch you. <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Well, I wanted to pick up on another thing you mentioned earlier, which you also talked about on your podcast with Jarvis Johnson, kind of this tension. And I want to get your advice because this is something that I'm kind of thinking about right now. There's oftentimes this tension between what the audience wants you to make and what you want to make. And I don't want to be like the entitled creator and pout and be like, well, you have to like everything that I make because they don't have an obligation to like anything or care about anything. On the other hand, you know, it, it, what's the point of doing this if you don't enjoy the content you're making? I feel like this is something that comes up a lot. So how do you deal with that? And what advice would you have for me or anybody else in that situation where it's like, well, the audience likes this, I kind of want to do that. How do I bridge that gap? Yes, yeah, something that I feel like has been, it's so funny, because, you know, we talk about Chase Jarvis, everyone always has their quotes. And I've like never had a quote, but I feel like <laughs> I have one. I have one. And I'm probably even going to get it wrong. It's one video I made and it's kind of like a philosophy I live my life by. And it's always like, okay, one for me, one for them. And that I'm going to make one video that's for me. You know, I don't care what people say. It might not get all of the big views, but I'm going to make it so I don't go freaking crazy. I watched that video and I started doing that after you said it, by the way. Yeah. And it, it changes things because then you have... Like you're not mad at yourself for just doing everything for the audience. And the one for them is, hey, I'm going to make a little bit more of a searchable video. I'm going to actually really try <laughs> to reach beyond my audience. Maybe, you know, this video doesn't get a uh, huge applause in the beginning, but I know it's searchable. I know it's evergreen. So over the course of time. So for you, that would be like a review of some phone that you're not necessarily super excited about. Yeah. But Sure, let's do 100%, it. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. That I mean, for I was really enjoying making laptop videos for like a solid year, year and a half. You did a lot of those. <laughs> I did a lot of those, but it was because of like my personal journey. I was searching for a new laptop, and that's why it was exciting for me. So now it's fallen more into the category of like one for them because a lot of people now know me for caring about laptops. I'm like, oh crap, I can't, <laughs> I can't just completely abandon this. So that has kind of shifted. And I think it's just a never ending ebb and flow. You just have to understand that, hey, this is your, if you want it to be your job or if it's your job, there's just some types of things that you have to do and make it, that doesn't mean that it has to be like, terrible make it right. fun for you i mean that's why a lot of my videos i try to mix things up and i don't sometimes I, it might just be me talking to the camera other times it might be more vloggy other times it might be just me interviewing someone and if you can just keep the format fun and true to you i think that can help it and it's just a balance you're never i hate the people who say uh, just make your art and just do whatever you want to do and everything will be perfect. I'm like, no. <laughs> That's a good recipe to get ignored and yeah. frustrated because you're not getting the results you want and then blaming the world for it. Yeah. And it's like the real world. Exactly. It's like we live in a very nuanced world where like you can't just do whatever you want all the time. And that applies to your art and that applies to your creative passions. That might sound depressing but it's not because it's i now reality. make a living it's reality and i make a living doing what i love so um that shifts and changes all the time but that just means that your approach is forever shifting and changing so well one thing that you have done at least as far as i have watched your channel that i wish i had done more of 
is you've always mixed in kind of the lifestyle vlog stuff. And the reason I think that's so important and that I think everybody should probably do something like that is because you want your audience to follow you for you, not just for the the thing you say in yes. video. In other words, there's some other tech YouTubers, like I'll say um, Dave Lee, for example, who's great, but I don't know anything about him. Mm-hmm. I don't know a mm-hmm. thing yeah. about him. And I know lots about you. And that means I will pay attention to anything you say about anything. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think a lot of people miss or are just coming to the realization of it and thinking that it's like a new concept when I think a lot of this is going to sound like, again, I'm like tooting my own horn, but these people who have gone on and like had really successful YouTube channels, like who I mentioned earlier, Ali Abdal, he is a really good example of that where he's a productivity YouTuber, but he also inserts personality stuff. He inserts things about him. He inserts his life. And Like when you're a YouTuber, your audience, you want them to care about you because that means they'll carry over no matter what you do. If I got big on strictly making laptop reviews, why is anyone going to care if I go and do anything else? They don't know anything about me. And I think that was the balance that I've always struck is, I mean, there was a year there where I only vlogged and I was miserable and I hated that. But tell me, wait, 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 hold on. Tell me about that. Why did you hate that? That seems like that would be awesome. I mean, I just, I was vlog, I mean, that was, it was when I got a lot of my new audience and because it was a lot of Casey Neistat's audience, oh, okay, they follow him for vlogging. I have to vlog, but that's not how I got big. I wasn't vlogging before. That's not why they enjoyed my stuff. So they they just enjoyed it because there was like little lifestyle vlogging aspects to it, but it wasn't 100% vlogging. So And I wasn't, you know, I started making five vlogs a week. My type of videos does not, that's not sustainable. What I like to do isn't sustainable by doing it five times a week. So that burned me. So basically you were like, they came to me via Casey and I have to be Casey. Kind of. Yeah. And I mean, that was during the residency too. So I was like, I might as well just make all the videos. I literally vlogged and also made another season of my Creative Spaces TV and that like killed me. Um, But I learned a lot and I learned, okay, I need to go back to more what I was doing before, what people followed me for. It wasn't fun. It wasn't enjoyable. Um, But I think throughout everything, that's that's the balance I always come back to is like, okay, let's talk about tech Let's talk about creativity, but let's also talk about my journey because that's how YouTube starts is like just you talking to your audience. Like I'm not going to, you know, pretend. I don't know. It just seems more like a relationship. So why wouldn't you share certain things? Of course, I've pulled back more like relationship stuff because there's some things you just don't want to give to a YouTube audience because if they're just going to comment really stupid things, they don't deserve. Which they sure do. <laughs> they don't deserve that, you know, part of things. But there's a good amount of stuff I can feel comfortable with sharing. And hopefully, yeah, people find that relatable, I guess. Or I'm just, you know, I'm a human. That's what YouTube, that's what makes YouTube different from TV and movies is, hey, we're humans. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't mind me asking, uh, so you did just get engaged and congratulations on that. John seems like a great guy. Getting Thank married you. is the best thing that ever happened to me. Now, you mentioned working yourself half to death there for that year. 
And, you know, John is, for anybody who isn't familiar with him, he is a super successful YouTuber too, so he gets it. But at the same time, there's got to be times where he's like, hey, I haven't talked to you for three days, or vice versa. <laughs> Yeah. How, how do you manage that? I mean, that's something I'm definitely struggling with right now. How do you manage that? It's well now during COVID, it's so easy because we're just on top of each other. I feel like in our tiny apartment. But but are you really present though? Even if you're in the same room? Yeah. So I mean, that's something that I mean that's a good point because we work from home a lot, even outside of you know the times that we're in. So we're always in the same room at least three times a week for the majority of the day. So I think that is unique. And we are the type of people we're just like super goofy, just stupid to where like, you know, once an hour we'll just start, you know, we just bought sock and bop them. So we'll just start fighting each other or something. Um, so there's, there's enough moments in the day like that. And that's the relationships I'm kind of used to with my family. I mean, I was really close to my mom and we just have a very like, I don't know if this is relatable at all to people. It might sound super stupid, but like, do you just like beat up the people you love? Like just like wrestling and just like always being in their space. And that's like, that's kind of my love language. So if we're in the same vicinity, we find out ways to like hang out and goof around. And so it's never been an issue, but the hardest part was when we were doing long distance the first six months, he was in LA, I was in New York. And when you're used to, that type of love by being in the same vicinity and just, you know, knowing that you're there for the other person. I think that was the most difficult um, because we both pour, pour ourselves into our work so much that, you know, oh my God, I didn't like, John didn't call me today. Oh no. Or I didn't call John. So I think that was the toughest part of our relationship. And now because we have that understanding of we are just full sending and everything in life, there's that common ground that we're not going to be mad at each other if I'm at the office all day. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be mad at each other if I have to go to a conference for three days. Luckily, we like each other for like, I like Sarah, John likes John. <laughs> and we, we came together in a moment where we were very secure in ourselves. And I think that's really important for relationships because we weren't putting our own shit on the other person. And because of that, I think, you know, I, I got nervous because the first year of dating, we hadn't had a fight. And John saw that as like, oh, everything's perfect. And I saw that as like, hey, this isn't normal. Like we almost got to like manufacture <laughs> to stir up some stuff here. Cause this isn't like normal, but I think, you know, I'm kind of going on a tangent now. No, this is good stuff. Yeah. We're like any other couple in that we do fight, but we really are like BFFs. So at the end of the day, we have enough common ground to just know what we're thinking. Like we know, we know our hopes and goals and dreams and you know, he knows where my brain's at and he knows that this is the phase of my life where all that matters is of course him, but like my career. And he's always been fully aware. I feel like on our first date, I literally like, did I like pick up a random child? There was like <laughs> literally on our first Wait, date, what, what? there was like a, there was, there was like a baby next to, there was like a baby next to us. And I like basically like spent 10 minutes just like playing with this random baby. So he he's always known too that I'm like hustling as much as possible in this phase of my life to where, you know, down the line when we have kids, I can have like five years of just doing whatever the hell I want and like hanging out with 
the kids, you know? So (laughs) I'm very, you know, I think you made a point that not a lot of people make is that, okay, yes, I'm very creative and messy and all those things, but I'm very calculated. I've had in my brain the plan of my life for a very long time. Like I've always known that I want to be a mom. I babysat all the time in Texas. That's always been such a big part of my life, but I really care about my career and I love to work and I love collaborating with people. And those things don't always like mix perfectly. And I'm aware of that. Like I'm not a type of person that thinks that I want to have it all, but I know that doesn't exist. So I know that there will be some sort of sacrifice down the line in five years or what have you. So quite literally everything I'm doing is just preparing for that next phase of life, whether it was me in high school, college, preparing for my professional career or right now trying to put all of my eggs in one basket to, you know, for my next journey. So feel like you're pulling thoughts out of my own brain. I, I have one last <laughs> question for you because I, I, yes. I could go on for hours, but one last question for you. I think that you and I probably think about this similarly as far as like monetizing your audience, your channel, your show, whatever. I would say that, you know, the way I see the way you approach it is like, hey, if I can make some money working with a brand or person that I respect and like, I'm going to do it. And I would say that you're pretty unapologetic about monetizing. Other people are kind of more like, hey, guys, sorry, but... Yeah, I feel like that's silly to go about that route because it's like everyone knows what we're doing. You know, it's like no secret that... And I mean, it helped that before YouTube... I only made videos for production companies and companies and corporations and boring corporate videos. So my entire video world before YouTube was 100% for the client, 100% doing, I mean, like the most boring videos of like doing a talking head for American Airlines on in DFW, their like new headquarters or something. It was the most boring thing ever but that was my perspective on making money in video so when YouTube came around and I was like oh wait I can make what I want to want and then I can find a brand to come alongside that and empower that and like they get some fun but also I get to do what I want to do like that's amazing that's like so much better than you know I just came from like it 100% being about a company the keyboard operator now yeah to now being like oh this is my own channel I get to dictate what I talk about and then of course if a brand wants to come along and help empower that that uh video then like yeah let's go for it and there's a mutual understanding in my audience that I think I've always had I've you know a lot of people always talk about courses, merch, all of that stuff, which is obviously a really good way to monetize your audience. But I've always been very open with people and that I don't feel the most comfortable asking money directly from my audience. That's not to say maybe one day I'm not going to make like the dopest course ever or something, but like that's just not my focus. So if I can bring along a brand where it doesn't take anything away from the audience, you can skip the two minutes and I'm talking about the brand for all I care. I don't care. But if it's going to maybe help your life and you don't have to pay me directly for anything, if you happen to be searching for a laptop, if you happen to need a new productivity software and you want to sign up with my link, go for it. But I think it's a very non-intrusive way of making a living doing video, but also not expecting the world of your audience. Love it. That sounds like exactly the advice I would give anybody as far as like how to think about monetizing. I will let you go since I know you have a lot of other things to do. Is there anything you want to add or plug or anything like that before I let you go? 
It's a good convo. Thanks for having me. Um, my podcast is That Creative Life. You guys can search on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. And yeah, just thanks for having me. This is a good convo. Cool. It was fun. Awesome. Glad to hear it. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that. And you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast. A songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, And I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.